0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello everyone, this is Garki and today I have with me Professor Adrian Little. He is a pro-vice chancellor at the University of Melbourne. His expertise is in the field of political theory. He is the author of several monographs, most recent of which is Temporal Politics, Contested Past, Uncertain Futures, published in July this year with Edinburgh University Press. Hello Professor Little, how are you today?
1: and good Gargi, very nice to be here
0: as always i would like to start with the beginning what is the genesis of this book how did this book came to be
1: that that's an interesting starting point I, i've been thinking about uh time and temporality for a long long time you know possibly nearly 30 years uh, but i've never um got around to uh, writing work that was specifically Uh, about time. So I I touched on the theme of time in many of my early publications, which were a lot of them were focused on uh, kind of the politics of welfare and how people use their time and how leisure time relates to uh, working time. Um, And then I would drifted away from that uh, and was focusing on a number of other issues, including... Uh, In the the last sort of ten to fifteen years, working on uh, indigenous-settler relationships in Australia, for example, Uh, I was also doing some work on um, migration and and borders, Uh, and um, I have a longstanding interest in kind of democratic theory and practice. Uh, And it it kind of dawned on me that um, actually there was there, there was something that that bound these disparate. Issues together, um, or there maybe two or three things, but there was certainly one, and that was the way that time and temporality played out in all of these examples. So, for that reason, I thought uh, it's time it's time to return to the theme of of time and temporality. Uh, and uh, as you know, the first half of the book sets out a, a, an explicitly political um, understanding of temporality which is differentiated from some of the more philosophical treatments uh, and, and learns from other disciplines, including kind of sociology and geography and anthropology and history. And then in the second half of the book, I go on to look at um, uh, political temporality in practice. And again, I return to those three examples I mentioned, indigenous settler relations, uh, migration and borders, and democratic theory and practice.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and this leads us to my next question, which is, uh, you write that the main objective of this book is to establish a new theory of political temporality. Uh, if you, uh, for the sake of listeners who have not yet read the book, how, how would you define political temporality and how is it different from, from other fields uh, in the social sciences?
1: Uh, well, uh, in, in the book itself, uh, I say that there are five key dimensions to understanding uh, political temporality. Um, the first is to differentiate uh, temporality from uh, what we might call uh, clock time or, or linear time, uh, you know, a linear sense of past, present and future. Uh, and I think temporality is different from that because it breaks down those static conceptions and looks at the overlaps between past, present and future and how uh, how the past affects the future and how the future um, uh, relates to the past and the present in between. Um, so trying to move away from that linear clock time is the first dimension. Uh, the second dimension is really to focus on the importance, on how people experience time subjectively, so the lived experience of temporal debates, uh, the the how people experience. The pace of change, the, the the tempo of everyday life, the duration of um, the the key issues that they come up against in their lives. I think that lived experience is um, absolutely pivotal to understanding why um, temporality is such an important issue for politics. Uh, the third element um, is really about um, contestation and conflict. Uh, if we accept that most political issues have uh, an important uh, subjective element, a a lived experience element, uh, then we need to recognize that um, most political issues will have a temporal dimension which people are going to disagree about. So uh, political temporality is about um, a notion of time that actually engenders um, political disagreement. Um, The fourth element of uh, temporal politics is uh, about futurity. Uh, As time appears in in a lot of works in the social sciences, um, a lot of it is focused on the relationship between the past and the present. Uh, And they're really important connections and things that we need to investigate in the social sciences. But uh, from from my perspective, political temporality is also heavily focused on the future and the way the future is connected uh, to uh, issues in the past and present uh, and uh, the way in which uh, the future is a really strong bearing on, on, on how we decide to act in politics on any issue and then the last um, the last part of political temporality as I explain it in the book um, is really just about how ubiquitous uh, these concerns are so um, I, I think these kinds of temporal, issues uh affect so many of the um political debates that we encounter in the modern world and as i said at the outset i i picked three applied examples to to work through these temporal challenges but there's so many others that i that i could have chosen to look at and you know climate climate change and climate futures is absolutely obvious one um uh, that, that, you know, I could have chosen to look at. But I, I think that the, the most debates in politics are inflected with temporal disagreements, uh, and therefore, you know, it, it seems that, um, from, from my view in writing the book, we needed to actually really get to grip with that temporal dimension of whatever it is that we're looking at if we're really to get to the nub of, of what political debates are about.
0: Uh, thank you for uh, and i also want to ask you why is there this need for a new theory of political temporality uh, i'm not referring uh, here to to the problems in the real world i also want to understand in uh, in the in the academic uh, in in the field of political theory what was missing that you would you think needed to be added to understand the problems in the world,
1: well, as as I say, um, the way that time emerges in those debates does tend to be rather linear. Uh, there, there is this kind of notion of clock clock time that you know the past is in the past, or that we you know we can put an end to a debate and and you know we can consign something to the past. Uh, that the present is just about the here and now, uh, where where you know the, the past doesn't have an important role to play. Or where the future doesn't have an important role to play, um, and as I've said, the um, the future is sometimes uh, um, marginalised altogether in, in these debates. So what what I wanted to do was, was to show precisely the way that temporal issues play out in, in politics, so that um, a, a notion of temporality could be brought to bear on on. Virtually any political debate that we want to look at, but the problem, um, uh, as I see it, is that um, in many political debates, the overlapping intersectional nature of past, present, and future isn't actually recognised. So we tend to think in quite linear, um, in quite linear terms about how we act in politics, and, and you know it may be related to the past insofar as. Um, you know, we make a, a, a political choice in, a, in an issue to, to act in a specific way because of something that happened in the past, uh, or we talk about acting in politics in the present because it will have a specific outcome in the future. And really, what I want to argue is that politics is much more contingent than that. We, we can't be we can't be sure. Uh, when we act in politics, what the outcome is going to be? There are uncertain futures, as the subtitle suggests. Uh, mm-hmm. And when, when we look to the past, um, you know, when, when we enter into the political discourse about an issue uh, in the past, we, we quite often make it sound as if you know there's an agreed story about the past that <laughs> that, that, that everyone concurs about, and, and therefore we must do X or Y. And really, what I want to argue is that actually uh, that there's lots of different narratives uh, about the past. There isn't a consensus, and that that in itself uh, will generate disagreement about the choices we have to make about how to act in the present.
0: Yeah, and uh, if if I'm not wrong, uh, here you would agree, uh, indigenous politics, as uh, as you have discussed in the book, would be a good place to the. Uh, um, uh, Talk about this more. Um, and you say that uh, Indigenous politics is an example of the temporal politics disjuncture. Uh, for the sake of an for our audience, could you explain what is temporal politics disjuncture and how can indigenous politics be uh, an example of the same?
1: Uh, well, there are some very simple examples about indigenous politics in a in a settler colony like where I am in Australia, um, where settler history in Australia is two hundred and fifty years, right? Um, indigenous historical perspective are sixty thousand years, and um, we often uh, talk as a as a settler myself. We we often. Um, talk in a way which ignores all of that prehistory before, uh, before settlers uh, uh, arrived in Australia. Uh, and um, I think that's, that's fundamentally uh, problematic, um, that, that disjuncture, because if uh, if debates are conducted as if there wasn't a much longer history, uh, then we're missing a key part of the, the pre-colonial story. And I think what additionally, what's important about that is that that 60,000 years plus of, of history um, isn't, um, it isn't just a, a history of events. It's a history of relationships. Uh, and so as it plays out in uh, Indigenous settler politics in Australia, um, uh, it, it's not just that there are Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people. It's the fact that indigenous people um, uh, couch uh, their history in rel- relational terms, relationships with each other, relationships with settlers, but relationships with the land and the sea, uh, and um, you know, traditions from time immemorial, in a way, in a way that settlers just <laughs> can't do that. Um, and, and it certainly serves settler interest to think that um, our. our important history is only 250 years old but if you take a much longer view and a much relation much more relational understanding of what what is it what is in that history uh, then i think it becomes pretty easy to see why there there might be the kind of current uh, disagreements taking place about and which have taken place since colonialism about how to um how to uh, yeah, you know, live together uh, with with fundamentally different timescapes.
0: Yeah, and uh, if we move further into uh, border studies, I found this a very uh, interesting field to explore through temporality. And you say that temporality, along with space, is is a, one of the source of contingency in in bordering, and what would it mean for us to analyze borders temporarily?
1: Yes, so it's, um, it's pretty clear that um, you know, contested discussions uh, about the, the space of borders and borderscapes have, have become uh, much more commonplace over, over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, um, especially in the field of uh, kind of critical border studies. Um, and, um, it, it's, you know, the, there's a, there's a wealth of really rich literature on there looking at the the spatial dimensions of, um, of the practices of, of bordering and the impacts of those practices on, uh, on humans and especially those who are on on the wrong side of borders that, that, uh, they might want to cross, um. But uh, in my paper, I, I, I argue that um, the temporal dimension hasn't been as apparent in, um, in those debates as the spatial dimension, and I think they actually complement each other. Um, so uh, so temporarily, um, I, I think there are a number of interesting questions. Obviously, um, a starting point would, would be to say that... Um, uh, there's nothing inherently natural about borders, especially strong nation-state borders, as they tend to be uh, practiced today. But um, uh, you know, borders are uh, constructed, um, and you know, over time, there are relationships across borders um, rather than just a, a simple in-out uh, dynamic. <clears throat> um, and many, often when you when you um, create borders, you, you create all sorts of interesting uh, types of, of movements over time that, that um, may not uh, have been there in quite the same way uh, before. Um, so so I think borders are in, inherently uh, temporal, uh, and yet they tend to be treated as, as if they're very clear cut and uh, natural and static. Uh, a temporal approach is one where we start to put into context the movement of borders. Uh, borders have uh, always been movable, uh, and, and they still are. New ones are created, others are taken away. Uh, sometimes they do very, very different uh, things over time. So uh, borders, um, which might be um, quite open to the movement of people uh, across them for certain purposes, uh, uh, it may be useful for a country to have a, a, a labor force that, that's able to cross um, a nation state border. But at the same time, we might want to have strong borders in terms of you know, welfare provision or something like that. So um, I, I want to move away from um, the notion of, of borders as, as static entities. And in order to do that well, I think we need to understand the temporal dimension, um, and um, this can then play out in a number of different ways. So, if we, um, you know, think about um, what responsibilities we might have if we live in a certain country to people in another country, uh, well, temporally, um, you know, we 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 may have colonized that country and withdrawn. Does that does that mean that our um, uh in a different uh, timescape that that our responsibilities disappear I think not um, I actually think that the spatial dimension um, changes uh, over time uh, and uh, o- over time so do things like responsibilities to uh, to other countries and the people within them um, so for example if, if, um, if we are part of a uh, a, a country which uh, you know joins a war in a far off country, and in, in um, uh, to to try and change that country, um, th- does that then bring about over time a, a responsibility to people who are affected by whatever po- political conflicts uh, ensue in the future? I'm not. I don't. I don't have. Um, uh, firm answers for that in the book what I'm saying is that there is this co- complex contingency that really the the notion of a static natural border count uh, actually um, give us the answers to uh, and and the the implications of that are that uh, we, we should... Uh, try to be um, a little more thoughtful <laughs> in, in the way in which um, border exclusions um, uh, uh, take place uh, and uh, try and think about uh, ways in which we can um, uh, achieve much more of a flow across borders rather than using them as um, exclusionary tools. And, and a lot of my my thinking about that actually goes to uh, uh, Indigenous issues. Um, uh, because uh, that whole notion of relationality, which I was talking about before, is a very interesting way of, of thinking about the people on the other side of a border. I mean, what relationship do you have with them? Is it a historical relationship? What might that look like in the future? Um, so, so that's, that's why I, I think that there's a, a specifically temporal dimension to the spatial practice of borders, um, which needs to be brought out.
0: Uh, and, and you started with saying something very interesting is that it's uh, tem- temporality has not been as explicit in in this uh, issue why do you think that has been the case
1: um, again I've, I've, I've come to um, critical border studies uh, literature here Um and the, quite, quite a lot of that was really, um, has, has come from engagement around crisis situations where, <clears throat> uh, where people are excluded at, at borders, where there are um, refugees and asylum seekers who aren't um, able to get um, certain types of uh, protection. Here in Australia for several years we've had offshore uh, processing of of um, of people who try to arrive in Australia by boat, um, where where they get uh, sent off to, or where for years they were sent off to um, to other countries uh, to be processed and to wait. There's a lot of literature about waiting um, uh, and, and waiting in the um, in a queue, sometimes for years on end to 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 be able to cross uh, a border so um i think there was an implicit temporality to those discussions that i wanted to bring out more explicitly um to to a literature that was that had been primarily focused on on that spatiality the waiting at the border the offshore processing um the the um the, the waiting in third party countries to to try and get um, access uh, to your intended destination, and then all of this, uh, of course, bound um, up with terrible uh, tragedies in, in in you know the Mediterranean Sea or um uh, of of the coast of uh, Australia or on the U.S. Mexico border and and so forth. Um, so. Um, it seems to me that the very spatiality of borders and the, um, the fact that there were these readily apparent border crises led to a certain kind of focus uh, which was temporal, uh, implicitly, but it needed to be brought out more explicitly, so that is what I, I tried to do in that particular chapter.
0: Uh, And you you did. Uh, And I'm not sure if you could predict uh, the situation in Ukraine when you were writing this book, but you do mention Ukraine as an example of the same. Uh, Do you think thinking through temporality and all of these debates could help us better analyze the situation as it stands today?
1: It's an interesting question. So the book was uh, was completed long long before um, the, the current crisis. So, um, but 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 I think it, you can see some of the very similar kinds of issues around uh, contested borders of of people with allegiances to one country who, who find themselves on the other side of uh, of a border from the country they have allegiance to. A disputed history of of the borders, um, so so I, th- I think it, it does uh, resonate there. I certainly don't uh, purport to um, uh, have any kind of answer to the, to, to that conflict, but but I, I think there is a very obvious temporal uh, dimension to it, and it really does go to contestation by um, you know the the right of a, of a nation state to exist. Um, and the fact that it may not be recognised um, by its neighbours over time, uh, and, and the borders the may, may be seen by one side of the dispute to be uh, illegitimate, uh, and then that all, of course, gets gets tied up with a range of sort of, um, you know, political economic uh, imperatives, um, uh, which, which is why temp- temporality is so, so complex. So you can ask questions of why did this action take place at this time, and, and not another. Um, and, and I think you need to, um, in looking at any conflict situation, um, you need to um, understand the temporality of that. Um, as you may hear from from my accent, uh, I'm from Belfast. So I, I grew up in a contested space, in a space where people had allegiances to uh, to different countries, uh, and where there was when, when I was growing up a very, very Uh, militarized border, um, uh, which, uh, thankfully, is less militarized now, but you start start to see debates about that border and how it might change with something like um, Brexit. Um, And and you can see a really interesting uh, temporal dimension there about, you know, a fear of going back to um uh, you know the the terrible times of, of the troubles or what might happen in the future if, if the border was remilitarized whether you know whether the border's going to become a, a a more significant issue of political contention again than than it was previously so all all of those bordering debates i think have a really interesting temporal dimension um and as i say, i think it's obvious in, in the conflict around ukraine at the moment as well
0: okay um uh, this leads us to a concept tool that you have employed in this book called complex temporality i did a little google search of the term but i didn't find much uh, could you explain what this is and is this your neologism or this is something that uh, it's used often in in political theory
1: I didn't set out to to uh, to create to create a, a, a phrase, um, but I suppose I, I haven't seen it much actually. Um, so, so maybe I did inadvertently create um, uh, create that that term. But it it, um, it very much goes to um, uh, to how I present temporal politics uh, in the book. So I'm saying it's it's inherently complex once you start to have. Um, highly disputed foundations um, about, about the past around any issue uh, and um, uncertain futures and that goes to the, um, some, some of the key insights of, of complexity theory as it exists in a lot of the social sciences which are kind of um, uh, focused on the inherently complicated nature of um, social and political f- phenomena uh, but also uh, the ways in which we tend to try and deal with political problems as they emerge in, in the ways that we already know so we look to past examples past precedents uh, to deal with new problems when actually um, these these problems are, are quite often emergent problems they're there they're new phenomena which perhaps need um, new, new uh, initiatives to tackle them and so um, uh, inherently I think we tend to we tend to look uh, backwards when it comes to understanding uh, what it is that we should do because uh, as political actors uncertainty is really hard to deal with um, so uh, so uh, and if the nature of complexity is uh, about uncertainty in in, uh, in some respects and I think it is um, then having a politics, which is capable of grasping uncertainty and contingency, is, is a really uh, important thing to develop. Uh, and it's not, it's not something that you see in politics because, <sighs> I know, have, have you seen a political actor get up and say, I don't really understand this? And, the, you know, it's, it's all far too complicated for us to actually know the outcome of what we're going to do, but we're going to do it anyway. And we're going to see what happens. Um, so, I, I think um, politics isn't very good at understanding uh, that kind of process of dimension where where everything's in, in process, uh, everything's um, emergent in, in some ways as we engage with it in politics. Uh, and the, there aren't clear cut answers, there, there are choices to make, and we. And we can try and harness as much information as possible to and listen to as many perspectives as, as possible, and trying to make a decision about how to act. Um, but I think the reality is that, um, however we act, we, we never really know um, what the outcome is going to be. Um, and you know, in, in some respects, you you can. And I think in politics, people do think. Well, you know, we can't admit that. But actually, I think it's quite liberating if you do admit that you might actually might have many more, um, you know, creative types of political thinking and political action if, if we had to, if we were able to relinquish the idea that we had to be right all the time. Yeah.
0: Um, and that leads us to uh, something interesting is what do you hope the readers will take from this book? What should they take from this book?
1: Well, um, I, I hope it provides actually a bit of a methodology for thinking about how we tackle political issues, a methodology that that, that actually tries to, um, rather than assuming that, that we know all we need to know about a, a certain issue, actually goes back, you know, genealogically traces where... Um, um, where problems emerged from, how they were construed as problems to be solved, how we uh, narrow down the, the the range of uh, options we might have to try and tackle issues and problems, uh, and to realise that those choices are act- are often made on quite a contingent basis. They're, they're often made for ideological reasons um, rather than, you know, some notion of um, having all the right answers. Um and then, and then, to really, really embrace that notion of uncertainty—to sort of to say that um, any time we take action on a political issue, um, we're not really solving it; we're we're creating a new issue. <laughs> we're we're creating a new form of whatever problem we're tackling with, and that there may be unforeseen consequences of what we do on on other issues. Um, and that that's part of the the um, the process of thinking about politics is that you know uh, the things we're trying to deal with uh, are constantly moving around and, and they move in relation to other debates and other actions taken uh, in another space by other people. Um, so we don't really have, we, we never kind of have control over the political issue that we're trying to deal with um, and that's, what, that's why there is so much uncertainty uh, in politics. i think if you put that kind of methodology uh together uh trying to understand how we got to where we are but realizing that people disagree about that um trying to understand the constraints on having uh you know the epistemological constraints of knowing exactly what we're acting on and what will happen because of that um, that i think uh, can give us um, a much more dynamic understanding of how politics works. Um, But as I say, I I think it's potentially quite liberating to uh, be able to admit that, that, that it's an uncertain world where political action does not lead to definitive outcomes. It leads to something else that will require political action in the future. And it's very hard to say definitively what that will be. I think if we tackled a lot of um, issues with that sort of mindset, um, we might reach some uh, quite different decisions. Um, and you know, you can see it in um, in sort of climate change uh, uh, debates, where, where um, the, the, there's there's so much, so much focus, certainly in somewhere like Australia, on, on whether whether it's true or not and whether it's real or not, even if most people agree that it is, but we've become so focused on, on what it is uh, that, you know, some of the kind of precautionary principles that might say, well, even if we don't, you know, really know absolutely all of the answers, um, you know, we, we, we really should be acting uh, on this uh, in, in a more serious way than we are, um, precisely because... Um, uh, if we are right uh, about um, climate futures, then there are very, very serious ramifications from that. So it seems to me that, that we need a more liberated, less short termist kind of thinking about, about how we conduct um, political issues and debates. and um, you know I, I, I think moving away from um, clear kind of clear cut, Uh, judgments about success and failure is actually potentially quite a creative, much more fluid space in which to uh, conduct political debate and action.
0: Yeah, Um, And since your book wasn't published far too long ago, I'm not sure if it's too early to ask, but what are you working on right now? What are some of your future projects?
1: Uh, Yeah, so usually when I finish a book, I'm already sort of (laughs) thinking about one even if it doesn't come for for a few years down the line um and the 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 book i wrote before this one was about the enduring nature of conflict um this one obviously is about um temporality and um the next one i think will be um focused on this issue of relationality and and how thinking about how humans and uh, non-humans and uh, the environment um, relate to one another um, again might open up a a different way of thinking about the political choices uh, that face us so i'm thinking i'll probably use something a similar kind of structure of a first half of the book um, uh, really work at working out both from the past and into the future what a relational politics might mean so reaching some kind of definition of that uh, and then moving through the methodology of looking at how relationships play out in, in some uh, kind of case study type chapters, looking at a particular issue. And, you know, I, I would use the Indigenous settler uh, one uh, again. Uh, I think it works for borders as well. So, um uh, it, it may be that I actually couch those debates rather than in temporal terms, in relational terms. But I actually see the three books about conflict, time and relationships as as a bit of a trilogy, if you like, even if they're not formally linked together in that way.
0: I wish you the best of luck and I hope to read more of your books. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye. Thank you.